October 4th, 2019. We're here with Nick Shoulders, and good afternoon, Nick. Good afternoon. Happy to be here. Well, uh, you mentioned you're a dual resident. Uh, you have dual residency, so to speak, Arkansas and Louisiana. So tell us a little bit about that. I know Arkansas uh, is your birth state, and uh, New Orleans currently is your residing state. It's true. Well, <clears throat> I, uh, I started out um, in Arkansas, of course. I was born, raised, bred, and buttered in the state, and I really do love it. And uh, I spent, well, I guess, the first 25 years of my 30 years in uh, in the state and then kind of got uh, a little bit itchy feet, and I decided that I needed to carry my music out and try to figure some, some things out about myself and the country. So I traveled in my van for three years and kind of ran into the scene of incredibly talented New Orleans people that are uh, just kind of out there playing music in the country. You know, the, the tour schedule that these people keep is insane, but... I essentially got to hop on a couple tours with uh, New Orleans bands and thought, well, there's no better place in the world for me right now where I could be a gigging musician and sweat it to the oldies. So I uh, decided to uh, to go down to the Mosquito Kingdom, and it's uh, it's been nice because it's I can spend uh, one tank of gas to get from the Lower Ninth Ward to my grandma's house. So it's uh, it's really not that crazy to be a dual resident of Louisiana, believe it or not. Tell me about uh, growing up here in Arkansas. I know one of the tunes um, you do, Snakes and Waterfalls, is full of images of sort of the land that you grew up on um and i know that had a lot of influence on you uh you hear that in that song in particular uh but as we were talking earlier uh it was also a spot where you learned to yodel and and whistle Mm -hmm. yeah i i think that's uh that's a point i try to to understand and bring up on a, on a regular basis with other performers like if, if this is country music what about being from the country actually informs it and helps you and I, I really think one of the 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 main contributors to that uh to the reason that old vocalists and stuff sounded the way they did is they just had more space and they had more uh time and uh and and places that were secluded i think to really practice and hone in these skills and i just happened to be lucky enough to land in one of those situations uh when I was young, we lived west of Little Rock out in the Washita foothills, and you know we could you could walk off the western edge of our property and not hit hit pavement for nearly 20 miles. So there's a lot of space out there, but it was, wasn't really until I moved to the Ozarks as a kid um, to Fayetteville and had um, a rocky hollow to run around in that was a Civil War battlefield and uh, had carvings in it from uh, the 30s and 40s and springs and caves. You know, it was just this wonderful little pocket of uh, Ozark Wilderness, and I could still walk to Dixon Street in 10 minutes. You know, it was it was a really insane kind of uh, half-rural existence that I had. But, you know, I, I grew up eating Pop-Tarts and listening to uh, to stuff on the radio, too. But I I had this habit of going down there and copying the birds I could hear and uh, trying to get a hold of my friends, basically, is where I learned to yodel. I, I lived on just enough property that you kind of had to yell to, to find your pals, so... We had this kind of whoop holler deal that uh, that I figured out the voice breaks on, and well, the the rest of it was just a matter of uh, listening to the right people. But I, I think that's something I realized early on when you hear those old, uh, old country recordings, old honky tonk recordings. Uh, what you're hearing is somebody who has a, a comfort comfort with volume and projection that you don't get unless you really have. Uh, an upbringing that that gives you the space to do it, and I'm I'm just grateful that I did. I was gonna say there's no halfway sort mm. of in what you do. It's you really got to go full throttle with that. Sure, yeah. I mean, yodeling is just controlled yelling. Like I learned how to break my voice and make it do that little hop just by literally yelling to my neighbors. So, 
uh, once I kind of got that basic skill set, I was like, okay, that's the rest of this is just trying to to trim the fat, you know, getting the the tone right and trying to find the notes and just basically learn how to sing around this yelling thing. But if you listen to those old folks, uh, you know, that's a world before microphones. When you hear that volume and projection, that vibrato, the like that's literally designed to clear a room of heads with no microphones. You know that you're you're kind of tricking your voice into being a speaker. And so uh, I, I think that's what you hear in that the old honky tonk and the the, the old time music and stuff recorded. Um, you know, when you listen to someone like Almeida Riddle and she's got those high breaks and those incredible ways that uh, she's bending her voice like that's that stuff that I, I when I heard that for the first time, I was like, I know what informs that. I know where that comes from. That's totally just having space and whooping and hollering and yelling and stuff. And it's it's really uh, it's it's cool to be able to track those skill sets down and people that you admire, artists you admire. And the whistling, I'm really fascinated by the whistling. Um, that we were visiting earlier about this, and it really is a lost art. Absolutely, uh, I think. And <clears throat> you mentioned your your dad was a whistler, and um, you know it started out with bird calls, but that got me to thinking. I wonder, um, can you just because you can do a bird call doesn't necessarily translate to whistling into a tune? Absolutely, it, right? No. Well, when I was young. I didn't have uh, my parents are are great people, but they didn't necessarily put an instrument in my hand when I was young. I had uh, grandparents that on both sides were were making incredible music, you know, like ragtime railroad mechanics up in Missouri, and then the primitive gospel deep south stuff from my mom's side in Arkansas. So I, I had these influences, but didn't really know how to rein them in. Um, and it really wasn't until um, ah, crap, I just got totally derailed. Yeah, I'm sorry. yeah, we're talking about bird calls. Bird calls. Um, oh, okay. And so that doesn't translate. Like you said, your dad, you learned mm-hmm. it from your dad. Yeah. Now he can probably do a mean bird call, but he's not going to come up and necessarily whistle a tune. No, not you, at all. Right? right. So so I didn't have the, uh, the the lead instruments around. I didn't learn anything like that. So my first instruments were like my teeth. Like I can, you know, the... like that was the first thing I figured out. And then the bird calls were kind of, and uh, they were supplemental to what I was trying to do with the lead instrument thing. And uh, I think it was um, maybe I was about nine or 10 and started to realize I was maybe as good a whistler as my dad. And uh, I, I think I I mostly just had it by myself. You know, I, I, I was just sitting around so much by myself that I figured out how to make it a lead instrument. But uh, it wasn't until I started playing these songs and traveling that I realized like, oh, busking, playing on the street, you need a lead instrument. You can't just sing, you can't just play guitar and like, do that whole sort of thing. So you really need some sort of accompanying lead instrument. And when I figured out that you could whistle and that people were interested in whistling, I didn't know it was something people wanted to hear. So I'd, it definitely encouraged me to get better at it that people cared enough to hear it because I always just thought it was kind of this anomalous, strange thing I'd worked on by myself, but not necessarily a compelling thing. So I'm curious about the technique that that's involved in that. Um, you obviously... You know, I always think, you know, when you're whistling, you, you your lips have to be kind of moist. You mm-hmm. can't, you know, you can't be dry, right, obviously, right? right. right? Uh, and then you're sort of um, moving a lot of air inside of your pie hole, as it, as it were. Uh, but what, I'm just curious, how do your sort of cheeks and your and the aperture of your lips and all that go into that? I mean, have you thought about... What all the moving parts? <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of intimidating because yeah. I, I get asked all the time like how how do you do this noise? How do you make that little thing? And I have 
not a single bit of formal training. Like I'm completely just a rube at all this. So I feel bad sometimes because I can't people but give you know people answers. Works. But I know it works. Yeah, and a lot of it's. Um, I think when I figured out the the kind of warble aspect of it, because you can go, and that's fine. But if you, like that, actually carries the noise and does that sort of thing. And and you can get really high ones by really getting your mouth short, like. But it, it's really it's an inhale exhale thing as people don't realize also it's like it's like a fiddle you know when your fiddle bow is going back and forth you're going like those oh, two, two different okay. tonalities are, I see I didn't know you had okay yeah, absolutely yeah you can get some very shrill high noises out of an inhale whistle but the full body volume comes out of an exhale but you can't keep your like to pace your breath and be able to do it I'm inhale exhaling the whole time I'm playing and like there's other stuff too like you you have to really relax your face to be able to do the uh, little jump, like yodel whistles. The uh... like that's that's a whole thing that is involved with. Uh, I I don't I'm not quite sure how I tricked my mouth into doing it, but um, you really have to kind of concentrate and relax. Like if I'm tensed up on stage, if I'm playing not that great and I'm playing too fast or something, I I just Save those little jump whistles because I know my body's just not going to be able to pull it off. Yeah, I know what you're saying. And hopefully somebody won't tell a joke or make you laugh while you're whistling <laughs> yeah, too no kidding, because right? you totally lose your aperture. And, or, or sometimes I'll be singing a little bit like there's a hum and I accidentally start whistling and you get a little like it starts to creep in there. But I've also been trying to perfect like getting an undertone and a top whistle tone like doing a... Uh, I got, kind of deal. And that's a whole other... I'm still working on that one. Well, that, look, you threw that out at the end of one of those songs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I caught it. Now, I don't know if you even know what this is. You probably do, but that is the, Tuvan throat singing. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody else caught that, but I heard <laughs> that one note, and I was like, okay. I, that's a new one for me. That yeah. I've been adding that. Well, a lot of these top tone, overtone things I've been figuring out in the last three or four years... I. I played mostly metal music and loud music, punk stuff when I was younger and, and got more into this stuff just recently and playing guitar uh, like a normal person. And it's it's been a matter of taking these sort of bizarre skills that I honed in privacy and actually applying them to a genre of music that, uh, you know, it, it people uh, people love country music. People love to hear uh, hot, dancey country music, but you don't often hear hot, dancey country music with these little shrill whistles and warbles and stuff in them. So I'm, I'm just kind of trying to harken back to something that used to be way more common. Have you seen or heard of the movie called Genghis Blues? I have heard of it and have been encouraged to watch it, but I haven't gotten a chance to. And I, I just, I'm not good enough at tube and throat singing to feel like I can I can hang with folks like that, but I want to watch and absorb as much of it as possible because yeah, it's really incredible. There's a guy in there, Paul Pena, Paul mm -hmm. Pena. And he has a... I won't go off too long on this, but it's interesting just because we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. He had, um, he wrote the song Jet Airliner that Steve Miller recorded. Whoa, okay. And so he had a little bit of fame off of that song and mm -hmm. made some money off that song. And uh, anyway, he, I don't want to say he went off into obscurity, but he recorded, he, it's worth listening to his record because mm -hmm. you can hear his version of that song, which oh, is kind of neat. He originally wrote it. But anyway, he eventually moved out to San Francisco, tuned into a shortwave radio, and heard the tube and throat singing mm -hmm. and was just en en enthralled by it. And he... I know you'd be interested in this because you, I know you're just like, what kind of crazy noises can I get to come out of my <laughs> yeah, mouth absolutely. today? Mm -hmm. But he, it's it's 
sort of like if you think about the blues singer Howlin' Wolf mm-hmm. and how he would get that gravelly right. sound. Were you about to do it? Well, I was going to say, when my voice is in better shape, I can kind of pull up the like, like the crazy, crazy, <laughs> crazy one. But it's it's like once in a blue moon. It's yeah. like, it's when I'm in good shape. But, you know, I'm feeling a little froggy from sleeping but outside last night. There's just so many sounds that go into that Tuvan uh, thing. And anyway, he went over there and won this contest as an American. So that's incredible. you'll get a kick out of it when you yeah. get a chance to watch it. I know you will. Well, um, I forget the person's name. I'm going to kick myself for this. But there's a... Uh, it was. It's a recording that's kind of making the rounds right now of the uh, the throat singing cowboy, um, and it's it's an old recording from the twenties, and it's this feller playing, you know, cowboy picking along, just a one four five kind of thing. But he the throat sings on top of it, and the theory is that he made it picked it up from railroad workers out west because mm. uh, he I think he lived in Nevada or California, I can't remember, but um, yeah, it's uh, it it's interesting how that that technique. I think people hear it and they're just like. You have to be, you know, from birth doing that. There's no way you can, like, figure that out. And I just drove around for a few years by myself and didn't have anybody to torture with that noise as I practiced it. But it's definitely a – it's bizarre. I can't believe yeah. that uh, that that is, like, a, a vernacular tradition because it's so in, intense on you. And the people that are doing the growling one, like, I've heard those folks get, like, throat cancer and stuff because it's oh, just really? so hard on your vocal cords. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. And I mean, when I'm doing well, it, maybe you, you shouldn't try it. <laughs> I was going to say, when, <laughs> when you squeeze out the noise, like you really have to be like, I'm, you know, I'm, you can't see this, but yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, setting my frame up straighter and like trying to get everything because you're really just pushing so much air through your vocal cords to create that sound. Have but, you I, ever done um, any like just voice work or sound effects or anything like that? I mean, you've got seems like you can create a lot of noises over there. I I wish if anybody's out there listening to this, <laughs> I would love to be the uh, the warbling whistle on your uh, your western soundtrack. I'd like to uh, you know make the turkey noises or whatever you got. I I I'm I'm I, that's the kind of work that I think uh, I would really relish because it it requires some uh, some improvisation. You need to be able to think of a new noise and a new way to apply it, but also you're replicating something that already exists. So it's yeah. kind of, it's nice to trick the the ear that way, or like think of a way to, to kind of create this, uh, this otherworldly sound. That's not, it's not supposed to be a person sound, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, it seems like you could, you know, get some work doing that. I don't know anybody to tell you to call, <laughs> but I've only had one near miss where, uh, a friend of mine who, uh, who played keyboard for another band I'm in, he, uh, he was like, Oh, are you kidding me? You do that? And I was like, eh. and he's like, well, too bad I just finished a Western soundtrack, and to which I was just like, "Are you kidding me? There's no way. There's no way that that opportunity will ever come about again. That somebody in New Orleans is recording a Western soundtrack, and I missed the boat on it." Yeah. So, so uh, you mentioned uh, earlier today uh, coming here to Mountain View is kind of a tail end of a tour you've been doing for mm-hmm. a while, um, and you've kind of been all over the continental 48 here i'm a uh, pan-american pup this summer yeah, it's my yeah. first one yeah um and kind of been hanging out in the old time scene mm-hmm. we were talking earlier you mentioned some uh, names that we're familiar with here from the folk center jerron paxton uh guys from the downhill strugglers um so what's your sort of take on the popularity it's a twofold question mm-hmm. popularity of the music among folks your age and then the other thing i notice is if this isn't always the case but there are a lot of musicians who make the jump from punk to old time mm-hmm. and i've never 
I don't understand it. Well, okay, so I was going to kind of do a two-pronged answer on that okay. first part, but you you grabbed one of the prongs uh, there, so we might as well just tackle that one. Yeah. Um, I think, honestly, that really is sort of an ethos thing. I think uh, the idea of self-reliance and uh, do-it-yourself and, uh, you know, sort of a general feeling of being disenfranchised, uh, that is the basic fundamental uh, ethical motivator of country music, especially old country music. And I think that's really what what punk culture is. You know, it's not yelling music. It's not just people wearing black. It's about self-reliance and doing it yourself and honestly just uh, just creating a lifestyle within a culture that's already here that is is more uh, true to, to oneself. And that's... But you that's, know what, though? Sonically, they are worlds oh, apart. worlds apart. It's true. It's But, you know, you listen to... Uh, you I listen mean, that's like, I would think... You know, okay, like I I like you know North Mississippi blues, like mm-hmm. Junior Kimbrough and R.L. Sure, Burnside. Sure. R.L. Burnside, that's kind of my style. And then one day I would be like, oh well, you know what? I think I'm just gonna play classical. I mean, it's almost <laughs> sure. that much of a jump. It, almost, but then you hear something. You listen to hot stream music, you know, ding 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 ding, and then you listen to punky music. So there's stuff like that. Okay. And and so I think that like when the energy is there, like when I was young and I was playing punk music, and I first ran across hot string bluegrass stuff, like you know early bluegrass, and I was like, wow, this is ripping. This is like really has the energy that I'm looking for. And then I also found stuff like Woody Guthrie that had more of the uh, the like fundamental um, idea about uh, like class and uh, how these this music should push people forward and should make make our society better. And so I think those two the energy and making society a better place that's the the founding pillars of what punk music actually is. You know, it it can be uh, up in people's faces and uh, it gross and do all these other things, but really and truly it's supposed to move the needle um, of a culture. And I think that's what um, really good traditional music also does. Oh, and the ironic thing about it is um, you, your audience, or I don't want to say your audience, but an, the audience for traditional and old-time music is a lot broader mm-hmm. than it is with punk. Right, or, absolutely. Or, you know, metal or music thrash anything. metal, whatever, yeah. I mean, because uh, you, there's folks your age uh, and younger at concerts like that, and then your grandma and grandpa can mm-hmm. come and enjoy it too. Right, right. It's a it's a music of the people. Exactly. Stuff. Now, And that's that's been one of the big things about what I've been doing in the last couple of years with these songs that I'm really thrilled to death about is that people my age who are into the same things that I'm in are into this stuff and are, are part of it. And I think that, that goes back to the second prong uh, is that I think, a lot of people are starved for for whatever authenticity is. You know what I mean? I, I don't like uh, the authenticity Olympics of who grew up on the deeper holler or, you know, whose farm was bigger or anything like that. Um, I think that's that's all just kind of irrelevant. What it, what we all have in common is we grew up with TVs and we grew up with crappy food and, you know, like go, go, just having like a, a lifestyle that really was drifting away from what our, our grandparents would have recognized as, as uh, you know, the, the way that people existed. And so I think people grapple for some sense of place. And America, people always say this, America doesn't have a culture, and I don't necessarily agree, but we have music, and that's the next best thing. And uh, so I think that especially people my age are grappling with the national identity in a way where you're in a melting pot, but uh, nothing feels like it's not made of plastic. And so folks are going back to the the old rough-hewn things because they want to feel some sense of place. And I, I think that... That plays into most anybody that listens to music because I think country music and old time music is really steeped in nostalgia. But 
what's really nice about this newer wave that I'm a part of is I feel like it's it's got a social conscience and it's got an idea of where it sits in terms of history and what it should represent. So I'm really proud to be a part of the wave of folks that are playing right now that are that are all kind of trying to tackle this thing and say, like, we want to keep these traditions. We want to keep the way this is working. We want to uh, to preserve the old. But what's worth keeping? You know, we want to we want to find the stuff that's compelling and good and keep on with that. So I'm wondering in your travels here recently, uh, who did you hear uh, a musician you heard or a person you met that really opened your eyeballs? Ooh, God, I played with some really cool people this summer. I, you know, I, I was out for, uh, for, for months and I, I started the tour with uh, some friends of mine from New Orleans, Chris Acker and his, his band. Um, and we crossed folks with some, or cross paths with some folks in, uh, Laramie, Wyoming. And, uh, I got to say this uh the this cat I met uh you know Hunter Hicks he's he's got some really cool songs um and Sean Hess out there too they they're, they're just making good music but I I I was really struck with uh with Deep Wyoming small town west is is pretty hard to beat you know it's it's really cool to be in these places where folks are working hard on the ground and and making making good music but I couldn't even, I'm feeling bad for leaving people out, even like in this question, because I just yeah. know there's so many cool folks oh, sure. that I cross paths with. Yeah, those stuck in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those those Wyoming kids, man, they're, they're doing the, cool things would, up who there. Who are the two guys again? Uh, Hunter Hicks and Sean Hess. Okay. And yeah. uh, I, I think they're just making great songs up there, both of them, and they're in each other's bands and tour together and stuff. So that's that's really cool. But those were some hard homies. And then uh, some folks in uh, in Denver, like the Hangrounders are uh, a great band, and they uh, a couple of the members helped uh, get me on the uh rocky mountain pbs preview of the ken burns country music documentary that's coming or is out now but uh was coming out when that happened and so there's just been favors left and right a million driveways that i got to park in you know a million people that were cool with my dog sitting on stage while i played you know just every last person that i met this summer pretty much was a good one so it, i can't uh, i can't answer that question but i can if no, i that's the best of my ability so i'm um, do you think you got the traveling bug out for a while or I'm excited to be in New Orleans through the Mardi Gras season. I've got a January tour booked that's not too crazy. It's just some Florida stuff. Get a little uh, get a little sand between my toes while it's uh, you know the wet cold down in in New Orleans. But apart from that, yeah, I'm I'm excited to be back on the ground. And uh, I'm a drummer down there, so I get a lot of work uh, picked up for my friends' bands. And I'm just stoked to play all the time and dance until. Uh, till it's spring again and starts to sweat it up and then people start kind of trickling out once the the mercury rises a little bit and uh i don't blame them i i, I would like to say that i'm a real new orleans musician i've survived a summer there and uh, been on the ground the whole time but i haven't i keep splitting and that's probably going to keep being the case so yeah I'm, I'm excited to be in new orleans until it's travel season again yeah um <clears throat> i was curious you know this setup you've got uh, you're doing the foot drums, bass mm-hmm. drum, and hi-hat, and the guitar. And I know you've got a group that you play with. Right. Uh, okay, Crawdad. Mm-hmm. Um, have you thought, uh, I just, have you thought about uh, sort of getting a fuller band to complement your the sound and your, I mean, has that thought crossed your mind? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering when you write the songs, obviously, you've got them, you know, the, the guitar and the vocal and the, lyrics and all that stuff but i'm wondering are you hearing a bigger sound in your head sometimes totally um i i i conceived of these songs while i was living in Little Rock with my grandma she got her feet burned and i kind of moved back off of the road stopped living in my van and was like okay i'm gonna sit here and like listen to this music um more closely and like decide what i need to do with it but 
when I first started writing those songs, I just dreamed of having a band. I wanted a, I wanted a, uh, a big, loud, ripping band right off the bat. And I've, I've done the kick drum hi-hat thing for years. When, when I was young, I was a drummer. I started as a drummer and then moved into, uh, trying to play guitar. And I, I didn't really know how I didn't, I was too, uh, too nervous to ask anyone to teach me how to play in standard. So I just opened, tuned it like a banjo, which is the only other thing I knew how to play and just kind of did that. And the first thing I thought was, well, I, I like Abner J. I like Hassel Adkins. I like all these amazing one man bands. Maybe I can try to pull that off. So basically from the get go, I learned to play guitar and foot drums at the same time. So the majority of my, uh, output that I've done has kind of involved the foot drum thing. And I've, I think it's, it's fun and it, it, it has its uh, its utility, obviously, and it helps me travel, but it is limiting, and uh, I'm always excited to get back around the full band. I'm 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 actually just thinking about uh, getting back to Fayetteville for the last couple of shows we have on this little stretch. I've I've got the uh, Arkansas full band that joins in, and it's it's such a blast just to yeah. have it behind there. It it does so much for me because I can kind of loosen up and think a little more when I'm doing the kick drum hi hat thing the whole time. I can't loosen up and really re- let some uh, UFO whistle out or some kind of uh, <laughs> some weird pitched yodel that I haven't tried out. You know, I, it, it gives me room to uh, to create. And I, I, I love that. It's it's a great feeling. Yeah. Some of the a couple of the tunes, as you call them, uh, the flops of today, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which they aren't there. You've got some great tunes. Appreciate that. Um, you know, when I hear them, I think, OK, gosh, you know, I wonder how these would sound with some of those classic country arrangements mm-hmm. even with the string uh quartet totally in the yeah yeah jordan airs yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah no kidding yeah right. and some harmony singing mm-hmm. i mean some of those fully realized would really be neat to hear sure i mean if you get a chance to listen to the record um i i'm lucky enough to play with a, uh, an ace band but um you know my my buddy grant diabin who plays bass and does high harmonies uh it, it really makes the thing when when he and I get to play together, I feel like it's almost a separate entity because like his high harmony ability is, is just amazing. But I'd love to get a more fleshed out uh, kind of thing together. The record we're about to put out is just essentially a, a recap of the last one. It's uh, electric guitar, drums, me playing acoustic and singing and then uh, stand up bass and harmonies. But um, I've already got in the works trying to get some studio time set aside to have some steel guitar and some some fiddle. But in New Orleans, I get to play with all sorts of people. You know, I, we get to play with clarinet players. We yeah. get we get horn players. We get uh, hot fiddle. We get you know double fiddle, uh, steel guitar, the whole nine yards. It, it's really just I I can't stress enough how humbled and uh, and appreciative I am of that New Orleans scene in terms of the density of talent down there. Because I've I've grown more as a musician in the last two years than the last ten. And it's mostly just because I can play constantly. And yeah, that, that's that, all just because of the place. That does it. Have you thought about going to Nashville? Nashville scares me because Nashville seems to be a really big uphill climb. I feel like people that go there are very ambitious. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I appreciate that. I, I think that's awesome. And it, it is got so much history with country music, that's obviously. Funny. But it's just... Uh, <laughs> So you're saying you're not ambitious? Uh, I'm ambitious in a different sense, I suppose. Okay. I, 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 I'm not uh, commercial I success versus right, and, okay. and not to call that self-serving because I think that's an annoying thing to pigeonhole artists. Right. Like, you can't make money off of your craft. Like that's not the point of doing this. I, and that I'd never uh, disparage anybody from moving to Nashville to try and have a more stable career. I guess for me, part of it, honestly, when I consider it, is I I've driven around Nashville. I love Nashville. Play in Nashville. Um, but I look at the landscape and I'm like, this is just close enough to my native Ozarks to frustrate me. Really? <laughs> I would just be like, ah, the water's not clean enough <laughs> or like the rocks aren't, you know, weird enough. You know, I'd, I'd have all these moments where, where I would just kind of like compare the two the whole time. I, I mean, feel there's like a 
good old time scene there. Oh these sure, days. yeah. There's I'm, I know some uh, some folks there that yeah. I I would love to play with on a regular basis. Like it would really make my day to to be the the contemporary of those folks. But at the same time, like the unsung heroes of the New Orleans, the uh, the people that I get to to hang with that I think are um, just unrecognized to this extent that's almost tragic like there's so much good music down there especially for people that like this sorts of thing and it's not like it's it's the nashville style country music you when you hear these bands coming out of there they've all got this kind of the the grease of louisiana rubs off on everyone you know you get uh get a hotter dance backbeat and you get uh you get more uh emphasis on different instruments and stuff it's less classically you know 50s country music honky tonk it's sure. more it's more like some kind of weird greasy swamp hybrid but it's still nodding and so steeped in the tradition of uh of that the you know southern vernacular music that you can't help but just be like man this is cool <laughs> this is really great stuff i want to before we wrap things up maybe you can just talk about uh a couple tunes you're going to play tonight uh, so what we'll do is when we put the actual radio show together, mm-hmm. we'll take all of your most brilliant commentary <laughs> and then put that in between the songs as sort of bumpers. Sure, sure. So maybe what you could do is just uh, give me a you know a quick few paragraphs or a few uh, sentences on a couple of the tunes of the that tunes. are in your set that you're really enjoying playing these days. Right. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I've got... Um, a newer album coming out and uh, I'm, I'm just tickled to death by the whole prospect of getting these songs out of the world. Cause I, I've been sitting on it for too long, but uh, there's a song uh, rather low. That's kind of a tongue twister a tribute to Roger Miller and uh, life on the road. And it's, I, I have built up, uh, I, I, I am scared to calculate how many miles I've toured with how many bands over the years, but you just kind of come to appreciate the fact that uh, when you're out there, it's you just have to embrace the suck. It's going to be awful at times. It's going to be amazing others, but uh, the uh, the amount that's uh, that's challenging is worth noting. And so that song's one about uh, about the things that are are challenging out there on the open road. And uh, you know, so snakes and waterfalls is a tune uh, I wrote that's kind of a half tribute to my uh, favorite singer in the genre, Slim Whitman, and also. Uh, you know, I, I, I cobbled the words together as a tribute to the Ozarks as as the place that really nursed my interest in the music and representing uh, the, this landscape uh, dutifully. And it's it's about this place and it's also about challenging things with this place and, and learning to, to hold on to what's great and compelling and also be able to recognize that things there's things that could be improved upon. Well, Snakes and Waterfalls, that's such a wonderful song. And there's a great uh, YouTube video uh simply shot with your i guess that's your dog that's my dog in my parents woods yeah very well behaved <laughs> he's a very well behaved what's hound. his name that's moose he's uh, 130 pounds of love <laughs> but uh no that that dog has uh it's the most tolerant creature on the planet I, I swear to god he lived with me in that van for uh nigh on three years and then we've traveled sea to shining sea together and he's sat on many a stage and uh you know, paddled around in the Pacific, Atlantic, and the Gulf. So he's he's as close to a Pan American dog as as exists. Well, and... I'll tell you a quick story. I was doing a gig in Nashville years ago. Mm-hmm. Cold, rainy night in February. A stray dog walked into the bar, came up, sat on stage. We ended up traveling around with this dog for about six or seven months. Oh. We called her Sue. Oh, that's awesome. Moved back to Memphis. That one of the guys in the band tried to keep her. Uh, but she would always dig out of the fence and walk about a mile and a half to my house. Because mm-hmm. yeah, when we'd get up in the morning on the road, I was the one that would take her for a walk right. and feed her. So she got she imprinted with on me. you. Yeah. And 
dude couldn't keep her at the house and he's like look you know she's made up her mind she's staying with you mm-hmm. and she was our road dog for three years so that's amazing I, and a great companion sure sometimes they choose you we had a dog yeah. that just followed us around my parents field for months and it got too cold one night and they were like gotta get this dog inside and so i sang to the the pup and it eventually like came inside but i was just like how does how does this animal who's so emotionally complex and so intelligent like i feel honored it it, when it chooses you you know it's it's a cool feeling that's great well nick uh i'm really glad we got a chance to sit down and visit today glad you got a chance to come uh to the folk center i'm really impressed with what you're doing your songwriting's great your artwork is really neat. Uh, your whistling, your yodeling. There's so much going on. Thank you so much. Uh, it's it's just really impressive. And uh, as I tell everybody, if you want to find out more, just in the Google machine, type mm-hmm. in Nick Shoulders. Like the body part. And, yeah, exactly. And information will come up. So keep up the good work and continued success. Hey, thanks. I don't know any better. <laughs>